one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone. Today we have another Backer Rewards episode, but this one connects directly with where we are in the narrative. We're going to talk about Harald Hardrada, the King of Norway who died in 1066 at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. As some of you know, he spent most of his twenties serving in the Varangian Guard, and indeed became its captain. Thank you to listener A.T., who wanted to know more about Hardrada's time in Constantinople and beyond. Sadly, there's very little in the way of material to study with the Varangians. No barracks or dedicated churches have survived. The only physical evidence of their presence are a couple of runic inscriptions which have been found. The most famous is up on one of the balconies in the Hagia Sophia, Popular speculation has it that a bored member of the guard decided to carve his name into the surface for posterity. We can only hope he didn't do it while a service was in progress. Unfortunately, our written sources don't add a huge amount of detail, at least not about individual Varangians. Because they were not Romans themselves, they didn't seem to have sought out political influence the way that so many Praetorian prefects did back in the day. We assume that many, like Harold, came to serve for only a few years before taking their riches home with them. So the histories pass over them as an indistinct whole. Harold is one of the few Varangians whose life story we can actually tell. As Norwegian royalty, his life did interest historians, and he travelled widely, attracting the interest of contemporaries and posterity. In order to learn more about Harold, I turned to Noah Tetzner, the man behind the History of Vikings podcast. Noah has gathered together a superb array of scholars and interviews them about all things Northmen over at thehistoryofvikings.com. And he's just launched a new podcast, Stories of the Second World War. Stick a .com on the end of that to check it out, or hit up your app to discover more podcasting goodness. I will be interrupting to add more context as we go, but for now, here's the interview. Hello, Noah Tetzner. Welcome to the History of Byzantium. 
Thank you so much for having me, Robin. It's truly a delight to be here. I've been a fan of your show for many years, so it's a real treat speaking with you today. Hey, very kind of you to say so. Well, I'm very grateful to you for coming on the show to help us learn about an important figure in world history who spent some of his early career in service to the emperors of Byzantium, Harold Sigurdsson, or as many know him, Harold Hardrada. So let's start with his early life and the Scandinavian world he was born into. Uh, what can you tell us about his background? Harold Hardrada was one of the greatest military leaders in Europe during the 11th century when he reigned as King of Norway from 1046 to 1066. Now, a great deal of what we know about his life can be found in King Harold's Saga, which is part of the collection of Old Norse sagas about Swedish and Norwegian kings known as Heimskringla. Uh, King Harold's Saga, along with all of these Old Norse poems, Old Norse being the uh, language of the medieval Scandinavians or Vikings, were written by a fascinating man, an Icelandic historian and poet uh, called Snorri Sturluson during the 1200s. So um, about 150 years after King Harold Hardrada's death. Um, now, Snorri Sturluson, the man who wrote King Harold's Saga, is also responsible for writing a work of literature known as the Prose Edda, uh, which encompasses a vast amount of the stories and tales of Norse mythology. So just a little bit of background to sort of the man who uh, is presenting uh, the work of literature that um, basically gives us 90% of what we know about King Harold's life, uh, Snorri Sturluson had tremendous influence in Iceland during the Middle Ages. Um, his family, the Sturlung family, was one of the most powerful. And it is also because of him that we know um, really anything at all about Norse mythology, anything in detail anyways. Um, as presented in King Harold's saga, the interesting portions of Harold Hardrada's life begin when he is age just 15 and Norway is experiencing a period of civil war. Before age 15, uh, not much interesting, not many interesting occurrences in his life. I would assume that he had a fairly normal childhood. Um, perhaps the um, civil war that he was born into had some influence on his early life, but um, the most interesting portions begin when he is age 15, and his half-brother, King Olaf II, who later became a saint, uh, was killed in the Battle of Stiklestad, uh, supposedly by his own rebellious pagan subjects. His brother was a Christian. And it is during this battle where King Harald Hardrada gains his first taste of combat. As mentioned, his brother Olaf is killed in this battle, and according to King Harald's saga, young Harald escaped from the battlefield with the help of an earl that was loyal to his brother, an earl who had land in the Isle of Orkney. Uh, they hid in a remote farmhouse in the forest, treated Harald's wounds, and then young Harald sailed east to Russia, where he stayed with a Russian king called Yarsalav. Uh, Harald stayed with the Russian king for several years, became commander of the king's defense forces, and traveled widely throughout the east. Along with some of his own men, he then decided to sail off to Greece, eventually reaching Constantinople, which is, of course, of interest to all of your listeners today. And in the words of one of Harald Hardrada's court poets, uh, quote, bleak showers lashed dark prows hard along the coastline. 
iron-shielded vessels flaunted colorful rigging. The great prince saw ahead the copper roofs of Byzantium. His swan-breasted ships swept towards the tall-towered city. And of course, so begins Harold Hadrada's time in Byzantium. So, Harold was born around 1015, so ten years before Basil II's death. And Scandinavia was starting to undergo the Christianizing, which so much of Europe had been through in the past couple of hundred years. His exile from his homeland comes at a formative time. When he might have been expecting to be groomed for power, he was instead out on the road, living a life closer to his Viking ancestors. Except, of course, that he was recognised as a royal wherever he went. So, as you just heard, he rolled up at the court of the Rus and was welcomed by King Yaroslav, who, in our next episode, will launch an attack on Constantinople. Anyway, Harold establishes a retinue for himself and decides to follow the path of many young Rus warriors by heading to Constantinople and joining the Varangian Guard. Harold was waiting for the political winds to change back home, and so he decided to go and enrich himself and see the world as a member of the Imperial Bodyguard. He arrives in the capital in 1034, so around the time that Zoe and Michael poisoned Romanos and took power. Uh, he presented himself to the Empress and joined her army as a mercenary, uh, that very same year, uh, the autumn of that very same year, he went off on various naval missions, patrolling the waters just east of Greece. Uh, he kept all of his own men together, presumably the men who fought alongside his brother Olaf in the Battle of Stiklestad, separate uh, as a separate company. And uh, a group of warriors known as the Varangians became very attached to him, and he subsequently became their leader. Um, and this is really something that is um, seen consistently throughout his life. Harold Hadrana, um, you know, gets involved with the military operations right away and becomes a leader straight away. Um, something that when he eventually became king of Norway, he became known as a great military leader. Um, he became known as someone who is a very ruthless king, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, but that is no doubt due to the early military experience that he uh, gained at the beginning of his life. It's not surprising that Harold was quickly promoted within the Varangians because the Byzantines favoured foreign noblemen, men with the proper manners and education to do things their way. All the tales about Harold in Byzantium come from the Scandinavian sources, and many are quite fanciful. But the outline of his time there does chime with our narrative. Here, for example, in 1034, it's claimed that he was sent to fight in the Adriatic, which is what was happening at the time. These were the raids by the Sicilian Arabs, which the Byzantines put down, paving the way for the invasion of Sicily itself. I asked Noah to tell us about some of the other fantastic tales of Harold. The record seems to accurately point to his presence in Italy and Sicily in the subsequent operations, and recounts friction between him and George Maniakis, which is entirely plausible. George is, of course, the Georgios Noah refers to. 
King Harold's saga provides a reasonable amount of detail describing uh, Harold's time in Byzantium as leader of the Varangians. Um, a military leader by the name of uh, Georgios was in charge of the Byzantine forces, uh, namely along the Euphrates River and in Sicily, Sicily during the time that King Harold was serving there. On, okay, on one occasion, Harold with his own men, including the Varangians, and uh, Georgios with his men were marching over land and decided to camp near a forest. Now, Harold had arrived there first and instructed his men to pitch camp on the highest ground, obviously the best place to be during a potential attack. Uh, well, this other Byzantine leader, uh, military commander, Georgios, arrived with his men, and he did not like the fact that Harold had chosen the best camping spot for himself, and so he tried to order Harold to pitch his tents elsewhere. Now, of course, Harold was not about to be ordered around and told the Byzantine leader that the Varangians owed their allegiance to the emperor and empress and that they were independent of all military units. Um, obviously, they were mercenaries. Uh, Harold Hardrada and Georgios continued to become increasingly angry with one another until they came to the point of seizing weapons and were about to come to blows. Now, some of their men broke up the fight and they agreed to throw lots in order to determine who would get to pitch camp on the high ground. When the lots were drawn, it was decided that the Varangians would take precedence in all matters of dispute. And many disagreements continued to arise between Harold and uh, Georgios, but Harold always got the better end. So this is just one of the many fascinating stories uh, seen in King Harold's saga, um, just describing his life and military engagements during his time in Byzantium. Um, another one uh, that we can find in King Harold's saga also describes an engagement between the Byzantians and the Saracens. Uh, Harold Hardrada was often criticized by his uh, Byzantine contemporaries for placing his men in the least dangerous area of the battle or for keeping his men out of the battle entirely. Uh, as mentioned, this is, of course, due to the fact that the Varangians were mercenaries and Harold was trying to avoid losses among his own men. However, he was not a coward and fought extremely well when the Varangians were on the receiving end of an attack. Uh, he was a very skilled military leader, and many of the Byzantian troops recognized this. In fact, they suggested that it would have been better for him to be in command of the entire Byzantine army uh, along the Euphrates and in the engagements in Sicily, as opposed to the previously mentioned uh, Georgios. He became extraordinarily wealthy due to the vast hordes of gold he plundered while in Asia Minor. So, uh, you know, middle-aged Harold, extremely rich before he was even king of Norway. While he was in Sicily, Harold did something remarkable, and I find this story fascinating. He laid siege to a large and populous town, surrounded it, only to realize that the walls were too strong to be broken down. He knew that the townspeople had plenty of food, water, and provisions to withstand the siege, so he thought up a plan. He told some of his men to catch some of the small birds that nested within the town and flew into the forest every day in search for food. Uh, he instructed his men to tie shavings of fur smothered with wax and sulfur to the backs of these birds and set them to fire and set them on fire. The birds would fly back to the nests inside the walled city, and whatever their nests were built upon, usually a thatched roof of some sort, uh, which was made of straw, caught fire. 
Although each bird could only carry a tiny flame, one bird after another set fire to all of the thatch roofs in the besieged town, and a great fire spread throughout. All of the townspeople with ran out of the city, begged for mercy, and Harold Hardrada spared their lives. So this is just another of one of the many stories presented to us in King Harold's saga, describing the many victories he won as leader of the Varangians. Now, if I may, I'll just talk about King Harold's saga uh, for a moment. Now, this was, of course, I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion, an Old Norse saga which was written by Snorri Sturluson, a Christian Icelandic historian and poet. I, King Harald's saga, along with most of the Swedish and Norwegian king sagas, Heimskringla, um, are often used as historical sources. Um, there is certainly a lot of truth in them. Some might consider them to be slightly on the historical fiction and simply because uh, one might suggest that the Saga's author, Snorri Sturluson, was seeking to um, insert some of his Christian education when possible, or to simply write an engaging and compelling narrative. Um, however, it is undoubtedly um, the, these these sagas can undoubtedly be used as historical sources to some extent. One just has to use uh, discernment, I suppose. But King Harold's Saga, you can find a copy on Amazon. I highly recommend it. And it's just filled with so many of these great stories as my favorite one uh, with the birds that were set on fire and released into the city. As Noah says, these stories were written over a century later and seek to place the great Scandinavian leaders within the context of wider European history. That story about birds being used in siege warfare is one we see ascribed to other northern warriors in the sagas, so who knows where the original idea came from. Another story has Harold seducing one of Zoe's relatives in a castle by the sea. When her family become suspicious and come running to her bedroom, the prince slipped out through a trap door and swam to safety. Other tales have him capturing 80 towns for Byzantium and fighting a dragon, so, as Noah says, discernment is necessary. Most likely he did fight in the Bulgarian uprising when Michael IV recalled the Sicilian army and led it into battle personally, uh, for those of you who bought last week's episode, the sagas also claim that it was Harold himself who blinded Michael V, which again is potentially plausible given that the Varangians most likely carried this act out. As I said earlier, in our next episode, King Yaroslav of the Rus will launch an attack on Constantinople. Again, the suggestion has been made that Harold, who would later marry Yaroslav's daughter, helped coordinate the assault, an idea fueled by the fact that he left imperial service around this time and returned north. It's worth saying that this is corroborated by the Byzantine sources. One of the magnates of this period wrote about his experiences, and he mentions Harold, says he fought in Sicily and Bulgaria, and left after Michael V's death. Harold returned to Kiev, and then home to become king. He'd been gone for over 15 years, and his family's faction was now back in power. 
He ruled as King of Norway for the next 20 years and understandably gained a reputation for militarism and constant warfare. Well, King Harald Hardrada is known for being extremely ruthless. Um, he was certainly a wise ruler as well. He was by no means a, an extremely dramatic tyrant, but due to the military engagements that he had been a, an essential part of and a, a great military commander throughout his life, um, he was very ruthless. Obviously, Scandinavia in general was experiencing a time of great battle and warfare. Um, one thing that he did as King of Norway is he um, led numerous, numerous raids on neighboring Denmark and some of the other Scandinavian um, smaller islands and ports. So he was really a great pirate. Um, I guess you could say he was more of a um, later middle-aged Viking in that uh, it wasn't so much, you know, a bunch of Norsemen grabbing their axes, spears, and shields, getting on a longboat and deciding to go somewhere, um, but very strategic raids. Um and that's something that is a big part of his reign as well. Harold lived in the shadow of King Canute's empire. Canute had briefly united Norway, Denmark, and England under his rule. So Harold's constant attacks on Denmark were a way of trying to destabilize the political leadership there and bring the area under his control. This career culminated in the event which has made Harold a household name in Britain, his death attempting to annex England in 1066. In September of 1066, he sailed across the North Sea with a massive armada of about 300 ships. Uh, they came prowling down the coast of Yorkshire, of Yorkshire in northern England, which is where the Battle of Stanford Bridge happened. Uh, on September 20th, he landed with his army, some 9,000 men, and destroyed the northern army that barred his way to York. But five days later, on, May, on Monday, uh, September 25th, Harold of England, Harold Godwinson, arrives with another army after a forced march of 190 miles up from London um, and fell upon the surprised Norwegian invaders at Stamford Bridge. So the Battle of Stamford Bridge is... It's truly remarkable because it's where these three great military leaders collide. Yes, and these three military leaders are, of course, uh, Harold Hardrada of Norway, Harold Godwinson of England, and William, Duke of Normandy, uh, William the Conqueror. These three powerful and ambitious men who fought their way to authority in their respective countries, and they now all meet in the autumn of 1066 and... Uh, try fighting for the greatest prize of all, which is the throne of England. Unfortunately, Harold Hardrada is ambushed at the Battle of Stanford Bridge when he is marching north in Yorkshire, and he dies. And his death, and this really is something to do with his, a small part of his legacy, the Battle of Stamford Bridge and King Harald Hardrada of the Norwegian's death really marks the end of the Viking Age as we know it. Um, the Viking Age really ended when, you know, the Scandinavian rulers sought to 
create and rule proper unified countries. Um, you know, before King Harold Hardrada, you had Canute the Great's North Sea Empire. Uh, with Harold Hardrada, you had a more of a unified Norway. You didn't really have these, um, perhaps one might even say city states, um, certainly chieftains ruling over, um, you know, Jarl ships in, in certain portions of land. Uh, but that's really how the Viking Age ended with the death of Harold Hardrada. Um, which is kind of sad to me because, of course, I love the Vikings and I have a history podcast all about it. But that's really uh, the end of his life and um, something that goes on to become an essential part of his legacy is the Battle of Stanford Bridge. And this seems to be Harold's legacy as the last Viking. The population spring that had allowed Scandinavia to pump out merchants and mercenaries for centuries had finally dried up, and states were forming at home in the wake of similar state creation in Russia, Hungary, Poland, and elsewhere, as we've seen during our end-of-the-century episodes. Harold himself might have spent a life in statecraft had it not been for the civil war that saw him exiled in his youth, and the opportunity which service in Byzantium presented. The sagas are full of warriors who returned home, very wealthy men from their time in Constantinople, and certainly coins, armour and weapons from the Mediterranean have been found across Scandinavia. I closed our interview by asking Noah about an exciting product he's been developing which is about to be launched. Uh, indeed, I would be happy to, and thank you for the opportunity to do so. So for all of you listening, obviously you know that I am the host of the History of Vikings podcast, and for anyone who is even remotely familiar with Vikings, you all know that one of the most fascinating um, parts of really the Viking world is Norse mythology, uh, an essential part to the religion of the Vikings. Well, uh, there is this primary source called the Poetic Edda, very similar to Snorri's Prose Edda, as mentioned during this interview, that is really the key primary source for Norse mythology. It's a work of Old Norse poetry, and it's where we hear um, all of these stories of Thor, Odin, and Loki. Um, and I've just written a study guide for it. So my book, The Poetic Edda, A Study Guide, um, will be available for purchase via Amazon.com. Um, of course, if you listen to my podcast, you will hear all about it. And it is a comprehensive, easy to understand study guide to um, one of Norse mythology's most primary sources. So for any of you interested in Vikings and subsequently Norse mythology, do be sure to check out that study guide. And I'm sure it will um, greatly increase your understanding for Norse mythology. So go check that out if you're interested in Norse mythology. Or if you're just tired of waiting for part two of Avengers Infinity Wars. Thank you so much to Noah for being my guest today. And thank you, listener AT, for supporting the show. If you're interested in a food and culture tour of Turkey this May, then check out thehistoryofbyzantium.com for more details. Sheriff Yenin, the man behind our Byzantium tours, is leading that one. And any foodies amongst you will love it, I'm sure. Next week, we return to the narrative as Zoe decides to get married again, and our new emperor will be forced to face down a Rus fleet, amongst other serious challenges. 
If you're thinking, wait a minute, what happened to Michael IV? Uh, then go by episode 183 and find out. It's just $7 to keep the podcast going. But until next time, thank you all for listening. <laughs>